So there's one thing conservatives do not do well. We do not do a good job of this. I was scrolling through Twitter while I was eating lunch yesterday, and I realized that there are a lot of things we do a really good job of. We do a really good job fighting back against critical race theory in public schools or the principles of critical race theory being taught in schools. We do a really good job um, opposing the transgender ideology in a way that's both compassionate to individuals who suffer from gender dysphoria, but also does not deny reality and certainly does not put our daughters at risk, our policies, that is, do not put our daughters at risk. We do a really good job of being pro-life. We do a really good job of believing the science when it shows us that life begins at conception. We do a really good job of defending the free market, of um, wanting to instill in our children the principles of good hard work, a work ethic, uh, family values, of all, all these different things that conservative movement does a really good job of. And if you scroll on any given day along Twitter and listen to what thought leaders are saying, listen to what articles or read what articles are being written, you'll see that for yourself. But I noticed as I was scrolling through Twitter that basically nobody, with the exception of very few people, were mentioning Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's national gender strategy. And this was released this week. This phrase, national gender strategy, is not something that I have dubbed their strategy. This is not a name that I have bestowed upon their strategy. This is the name that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have given to this political document that they released that literally lays out not only their strategy, but the tactics they're going to use in order to push the radical leftist agenda on the United States using women and girls, gender and sex, as the pawns in this game. And there wasn't a single tweet about this. Very few people mentioned this. And when they did, when they did mention this, it was kind of, it was kind of in this tone of voice, like, ha ha ha, this is so ridiculous. This is so insulting. This is so ridiculous. This is so absurd. Ha ha ha. And it does deserve to be poked fun at because it is so patently absurd. However, conservatives are missing the boat on the fact that many of these issues, whether it is critical race theory, whether it is these radical um, cultural sexual issues like transgenderism, these things don't happen overnight. They don't happen in the space of one year. They don't even happen in the space of 10 years. These radical leftist issues are seeded a long time ago, sometimes decades, sometimes, if we're talking about the Frankfurt School and Marxism and Columbia University Teachers College and how they've co-opted the public schools, this was seated over 100 years ago, 100 years ago. And conservatives are not always good, in this case, very bad, at stopping these things when they have just been seated before they have taken root. And this is an example of what I'm talking about. Biden's national gender strategy, we might see it, we might laugh at it, but why are we letting this take hold? Why don't we stop this before it starts? Because the truth of the matter is, this national gender strategy actively hurts women, uses women, exploits women, intends to use the idea of a woman, your daughter, your wife, you, as a pawn to achieve a radical leftist agenda unless we put it to a stop. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. So Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's national gender strategy actively hurts women. There's period. There's no caveat to that. There's no nuance to it. The national gender strategy actively hurts women. In fact, they the Biden administration isn't even using the word gender correctly. They're actually contradicting their own ideology by presenting this document as having anything to do with gender. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But first, I want to talk to you about NED. What is NED, you might ask? Well, NED is your approachable CBD product. CBD helps you combat, you know, stress, sleep, pain, anxiety, or inflammation, such as 
inflammation after you work out in your muscles. Now, the CBD market, as you know, has been extremely saturated over the past few years. Many of the CBD companies out there source their hemp from industrial farms in China. All of Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA-certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer in Colorado. I want to introduce you to Ned's brand new product, which has been development for over a year. It's called the De-Stress Blend. This is a formula made from the world's purest full-spectrum hemp and features botanical infusion of ashwagandha, cardamom, and cinnamon. And if you want to try the new De-Stress Blend from Ned, a brand we love and trust, then I have a special offer for you, the Liz Wheeler Show audience. Every order over $40, you will qualify for 15% off plus a free De-Stress Blend sample. You go to helloned.com slash Liz in order to redeem this or enter Liz at checkout to take advantage of this offer. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash Liz to get 15% off plus a free De-Stress Blend sample in any order over $40. And a huge thank you, by the way, to Ned for sponsoring our program and offering you, our listeners, a natural remedy to some of life's most common health issues. Okay, so Biden's national gender strategy goes as follows. This is what it reads if you go to the White House website. National strategy on gender equity and equality, the Biden-Harris administration issues the first ever national gender strategy to advance the full participation of all people, including women and girls in the United States and around the world. This is funny, of course, because as a woman, um, I didn't know that I was somewhat less than participating fully in society because I thought that I was married, a homeowner, a mother, a working woman who has chosen her career, who's able to bring her goods and services to the free market, who, yes, has armed herself to defend life, liberty, and property, who enjoys free speech and freedom of religion and opportunities galore thanks to the United States of America, our Constitution, and the idea that all of our inherent rights are codified and protected by a government and that government doesn't bestow them upon me. But maybe, maybe according to Biden, I'm, I'm, I'm just misunderstanding my position in society. Maybe I'm not fully participating in society. These people are so ridiculous and so insulting. I guess we would know. We would know if there's institutional discrimination against us. And by the way, there's a difference between institutional and individual sexism. Individual sexism is your random jackass that's rude to you because you're a girl. Institutional sexism is when you are denied a right because your gender is female, because your sex is female. Those are two different things. You're never going to eradicate these jack wagons that are rude to you for any given characteristic, really, not just sex. It could be race. It could be socioeconomic status. It could be the way you look. It could be your hair color. It could be your accent. It could be any number of immutable characteristics because you're never going to eradicate jack wagons because they always existed. They've always existed and they always will. But those people don't stop you from um, participating in society. You just have to drive around them. You just have to detour them to get where you're going. They're annoying people, but that's different than institutional sexism. But President Biden and Vice President Harris want you to believe that you are the victim, if you're female, of institutional sexism, and that the only solution, the only savior to allow you as a woman to achieve your full potential is them. What a load of baloney. So this is what they write. President Biden and Vice President Harris believe that advancing gender equity and equality is fundamental to every individual's economic security, safety, health, and ability to exercise their most basic rights. It's also essential to economic growth and development, democracy and political stability, and the security of nations across the globe. Ensuring that all people, regardless of gender, have the opportunity to realize their full potential is, therefore, both a moral and strategic imperative. Now, here's the thing. 
That's very vague. That's highfalutin, flowery language. Most of it sounds good, except that word equity. I hate that word equity, and we'll get to why in just a second. But most of that sounds good. But then we get to the very big but. We get to the very big however. This is what they write next. The strategy identifies 10 interconnected priorities. One, economic security. Two, gender-based violence. Three, health. Four, education. Five, justice and immigration. Six, human rights and equality under the law. Seven, security and humanitarian relief. Eight, climate change. Nine, science and technology. And 10, democracy, participation, and leadership. According to Biden's gender strategy, these priorities are inherently linked and must be tackled in concert. Aha, okay, so now we're getting, now we're getting to the radical leftist agenda that has nothing to do with equality under the law for women. They say, the strategy also adopts an intersectional approach that considers the barriers and challenges faced by those who experience intersecting and compounding forms of discrimination and bias related to gender, race, and other factors, including sexual orientation, ethnicity, religion, disability, age, and socioeconomic status. Okay, pause. So here's where we address the word equity. Equity. What is equity? And why is it always coupled with equality? Well, this is a very significant and important, a very critical difference. Equality means that everyone has equal status under the law, that you're not treated differently because you're a girl, you're not treated differently because you're a boy, you're not treated differently because you're rich, because you're poor, because you're black, because you're white, that every person is just a person in the eyes of the law. You, I mean, picture Lady Justice, right? Lady Justice wears a blindfold because justice is blind. That's what equality is. That's what equality. So what is equity? Well, equity is actually the opposite of equality. Equity is the idea that government bureaucrats, in this case, Biden and Harris, would pick and choose winners and losers based not on the merits or lack thereof of individual people, but based on immutable characteristics. So equity is actually discrimination. Equity is discrimination based on a political agenda. So for example, if Equality means equal opportunity, but not equal outcome because people are different and have different priorities, different goals, different talents, different skills. Then equity is equal outcome. In order to ensure equal outcome, there must be discrimination because every single person in this country does not have equal skills and equal talents, equal desire, equal drive, equal goals, equal background, equal education. No, no. In order to achieve equal outcome, some people have to be held back from what they would otherwise achieve. So those people, another word for being held back, is discrimination. There's certain people would face discrimination based on immutable characteristics so that the outcome of everyone is equal. That's what equity is. So when we hear in Biden's national gender strategy that he wants equity, that's a very serious deal. That's not just a ha-ha, Biden is ridiculous for claiming that you know women aren't really women, but then he wants to advance women when it advances his goal. Ha-ha, what a loser. Yes, all of that's true and all of that's funny, but this is much more serious. And he admits exactly how he wants to do this, how he wants to use women, actually harm women, not just use us, which is gross enough, but harm women, hurt women, in order to achieve the radical leftist agenda. So this is what he says. He says, the strategic priorities of the national gender strategy include, we're gonna get to this in one second, but first, I wanna talk to you about disco. Now, I think it's pretty universal that if you are a man, you now know that you should be using some sort of skincare products on your face. Don't you wanna eliminate those bags under your eyes? 
Maybe your skin's too dry. Does your partner want you to make some changes? Are you tired of razor burn? If any of this rings a bell for you, then you should try the skincare line that my husband has been using recently, and he likes it. It's called Disco. Disco is a clean skincare brand based in Austin, Texas. All Disco products are created specifically for male skin issues like under eye bags, dark circles, acne, razor burn, oily skin, dry skin, and wrinkles. Disco products are also easy to use. They're effective and affordable. They take the guesswork out of taking care of your skin, which I think we all love. Disco formulates their products right here in the USA. So if you're looking for a skincare routine for the first time, then the Disco starter set is a no-brainer. They have a face cleanser stick, an exfoliating face scrub, a hydrating face moisturizer, and they tell you exactly how to use it so that you're not lost in the shuffle. If you want to check out Disco and try their incredible skincare products for yourself, we have a special offer for the Liz Wheeler Show audience. Go to letsdisco.com and enter Liz at checkout for 30% off your first order. It's a great deal, and I'm very happy that I'm able to offer you. That's letsdisco.com with Liz for 30% off your first order. And thank you, Disco, for being a partner with this program. Okay, so let's translate some of these strategic priorities in Biden's gender, um, in his gender strategy. So Biden wants to, quote, invest in care infrastructure and care workers help rebuild the economy and lower costs for working families. So what does this mean? First of all, infrastructure. They're redefining infrastructure. Again, what is care infrastructure? This would be universal pre-K and free childcare, free daycare. This is what the Biden administration wants. When they say they want gender equity, they actually want to make it, they want to encourage women or incentivize women not to be stay-at-home moms, not to take care of their children, but to outsource the care of their children to daycare or universal pre-K, to these government-run institutions. And they want you, the taxpayer, to pay for other people's childcare. That's what it means. That's what he's trying to do. Now, this has nothing to do with women. This has to do with the Biden's radical leftist agenda to remove or separate divorce parents from their children and to have the children's primary caregivers be government government workers at government-run facilities. That's the translation of that. Uh, next, we have Biden's strategy or his, uh, his priority to dismantle the barriers to equal opportunity in education that undermine the ability to compete on a level playing field, recognizing that education affects future uh, economy security. I assume he means economic security, but there is a typo, and that is his typo. Um, okay, so here's the thing. This is very interesting, and we'll circle back to this again at the end, but this idea that women and men should all be majoring in the same thing at college, that there's some need to encourage women to enter the STEM fields because there are fewer women in positions of leadership in STEM fields than men, so what? This is based on the inherent differences between men and women. Fewer women want to work in STEM, not because we're denied opportunity to do so. It's just because the way the male brain typically works and the way the female brain typically works, females are typically drawn to careers in healthcare, education, social work, and men are typically drawn to careers like an engineer or a pilot. That's okay that there's a difference. There's no virtue and there's certainly not an issue of equality because women aren't denied entry into STEM programs, but there's no virtue in making sure there's an equal amount of men and women in certain career fields. Otherwise, why aren't we seeing a similar effort to encourage men to become like kindergarten teachers? Well, we see nothing of the sort. No, no. This is about equity. And equity isn't about advancing women as much as it is about controlling people and discriminating against those that the Biden administration and the radical left want to face discrimination. And that would be, in general, men, white men, and straight white men. That's 
Their actions have proved this, not just mine. Okay, so they want to promote the safety and fair treatment of all people in the justice and immigration systems. And here they betray themselves because if they actually wanted safety and fair treatment in our immigration systems, then they would not, not, I repeat, be allowing the border to be as disastrous as it is right now. They would, in fact, stand against open borders because what we're seeing at the border right now, our immigration system, is mass abuse. Not by the hands of the Border Patrol, not by the hands of ICE, no, no. We are seeing women raped, women sold into sex slavery, sold into labor, forced labor. We see people having to pay with their bodies, children being forced, being trafficked in these recycling rings. By whom? By the coyotes and the cartels who are profiting off of bringing migrants across the U.S. border because they know, due to the Biden administration policies, these people will be allowed to cross the border and they will be released into the United States, and they will be allowed to stay. So if the Biden administration cared about the safety of women, especially women migrants, they would secure the border, but they're not. Again, this national gender strategy is not about the advancement of women. It actively harms women. Moreover, the Biden administration says they want to increase access to health care. They say health care is a right, not a privilege. All people deserve access to high-quality, affordable health care, regardless of their zip code, income, ethnicity, race, or any other factor. To protect, improve, and expand access to health care, we will build on the historic work of the Affordable Care Act and continue to expand and improve health care globally. Let's pause there for a second. This is also contradictory because we know, based on our own VA system, based on Let's compare it to other Western nations who have government-run socialized healthcare, maybe Canada, maybe the UK. When the government is in charge of healthcare, when the government is responsible for doling out healthcare, when the government promises to pay for healthcare, they can't, and so they don't. In the UK, for example, the government, not doctors, not patients, the government has rationed surgeries. They canceled 50,000 surgeries in the space of two months last year because they couldn't afford it. They couldn't, the government couldn't afford to pay. And so they pick, they pick and they choose who deserves care and who they don't think needs care as much because they don't have the money to pay for it. Who does this hurt the most? Women. It hurts women, especially low-income women. So building on the historic work of the Affordable Care Act, which made healthcare harder to access, it made premiums, it skyrocketed, premiums skyrocketed, deductibles were unreachable, Doctors didn't want to take it because the reimbursement rate was horrible. Building on the historic work of the Affordable Care Act is bad for women. And yet the Biden administration is pretending this is all about the national gender strategy. In addition, the Biden administration says they want to defend the constitutional right to safe and legal abortion in the United States established in Roe v. Wade and promote access to sexual and reproductive health and rights both home and abroad. There have been over 60 million abortions in the United States since Roe v. Wade, since abortion became the law of the land. Half of those abortions, if not more, were women, pre-born women, women in their mother's wombs, promoting or championing access to abortion causes the death of unborn women. There is simply no plausible explanation or justification for pretending that abortion serves women. None. Every time an abortion is committed on a woman, she's more likely to commit suicide. She's more likely to be depressed. She could suffer infertility. She could suffer blood clots. The physical, emotional, and mental health of women who get abortions 
is hurt by the abortion, not to mention the unborn women in half of abortions who are killed outright. The Biden administration, I mean, this is this is so insulting, so demeaning. It's so, it, he is exploiting women in every aspect of the word. Every aspect of the word. It's it's, it's horrifying. Then he goes supporting, he wants to support women's and girls' full participation in social, economic, civic, and political life and ensuring they're represented at the tables where decisions are made. This, they say, is essential to progress in every other area and a precondition to advancing strong and sustainable democracies. But here's the thing. When he says the sentence, ensuring that women are represented at the tables where decisions are made, so this is highfalutin language, but what does this mean? Let's translate this. What this means is the Biden administration is going to support quotas quotas of women. There's going to be a certain number of women or a certain percentage of corporate boards, for example, who are going to have to be comprised of women. And so what's going to happen to women is we're going to be hurt by this. We're going to be hurt by this because, A, we don't need special treatment. Women who want to achieve, especially in the corporate world, are able to achieve in the corporate world, right? We don't, we don't need big daddy government to give us a hand up. That's insulting. It's basically telling us that we can't be successful unless Joe Biden gives us a, hand, a helping hand. I don't need that to be successful. But then the, se the second secondary aspect of this is this hurts women, especially in the workplace, because if there are quotas of females in any situation in a workplace, then every male, and yes, every female, I would do this, everybody in that workplace is going to look at women in positions of power and wonder if she achieved that because of her own merits or wonder if she was handed that just because of just because of her gender, just because of her sex. Can you imagine? Imagine your daughter, imagine your sister, imagine your mom, imagine your best friend, or imagine yourself working so hard to achieve that dream job, and then you go into work, and you start working with your colleagues, and you wonder, do these colleagues think that I achieved this based on my own merits, or do they think that I was given this because I'm a woman? And ask every man in your life if they would say that. Even good men, good men will wonder that, because it's human nature to wonder. Because the system is unfair. We women, we don't want gender quotas. We don't want a hand up from Joe Biden. We don't want to ensure that we're represented at the tables where decisions are made. If we want to be there, we'll earn it ourselves. We can and we will. There's no institutional discrimination preventing us from wanting to do that. It's simply a gender difference where men are more likely to want to be on corporate boards than women are. That's what the gender disparity is. It's not discrimination. But Biden says, in order to advance democracy rights and full participation, we will work to advance gender equity and equality in the law and ensure that rights on paper are fully implemented in practice. This, this circles back to equity. So in order to make sure that there are the number of women on corporate boards, for example, and I'm using the corporate boards example because in the state of California, there's an actual law that requires a certain percentage of corporate boards to be made up of women. So what does that mean? Who has to be discriminated? Who has to face discrimination in order for this equity in the corporate boardroom to take place? Well, men who deserve that position, who would have gotten that position had the hiring process, the appointment process, or whatever you want to call it, been blind, men who deserve that position will have to face discrimination. They will not get that job because a woman who did not earn that job, she was given to it, given it, or it was given to her by big daddy government, will be in that position. So in order to advance gender equity, there's going to have to be gender discrimination. Gender discrimination is a necessary part of gender equity. And then, like I said, th this, is, this is true 
in any uh, in any aspect. It, it, the fact of the matter is, men and women make different choices about their about their careers and their lives, and this is the reason why there are gender disparities. Because gender disparity is painted as if it's this negative thing, but it's not necessarily a negative thing. Women prioritize their careers and their families differently than men do. Women, I mean, this is true, like, for the gender pay gap, when feminists say that this is because of sexist men who are depriving women of earning as much as they deserve to earn, that's not true. It's actually because women choose shorter commutes and jobs. They choose jobs that have fewer hours. When they do work full-time, they on average work, I think, three hours fewer every week than men do. That's according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. They choose college majors um, that will lead them to fields, which in general pay less or have more flexibility. They work part-time. They take gaps off when they have babies. All of these different things. They do overtime less, go on business trips less, all because they're choosing to do so. And there's nothing wrong with making a different choice than a man if that's the choice that a woman wants to make. And yet the left and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are trying to codify this into law. The left doesn't respect women's choice. The left doesn't respect women. The left wants to erase what it means to be a woman and use that woman, even hurting that woman, in advancement of their own radical leftist ideology. And that's one of the reasons that I don't like the word gender used in these things. I think um, we should be using the word sex. I don't think that gender, um, I think gender is part of the radical leftist ideology, this, this gender spectrum that they call it. Gender used to just be a grammatical term for words in certain languages related to the suffix of the word. That's what gender used to be until the radical leftists decided to try to destroy the idea that men are men and women are women, that we are born innately to the sex that we are, and it corresponds to our DNA and our genitalia, that, as I said, men are men and women are women. Well, the left started to co-opt that idea because they want to break down the family, because when they break down the family, they want people to be reliant on government instead of on their spouses and their parents or on their children. And so they started using the word gender, and they started using women as pawns. And this is what I mean when I say that conservatives aren't playing this issue correctly. They're not doing a good job fighting against this issue because this isn't just a matter of radical feminists, man-hating feminists who want abortion legal um, and conservatives roll their eyes, blah, blah, blah. No, this is women on the road to being erased. This is Joe Biden and Kamala Harris wanting or allowing women to be harmed, deliberately harming women in pursuit of their big government, Marxist, radical leftist agenda. And conservatives should be speaking up louder about this than almost anything else, because we know that sex and gender are fundamental to relationships. Obviously, look at marriage. If you erase gender and sex, then you erase traditional gender and sex roles, which destroys marriage, which destroys family, which destroys this fundamental institution in our country, the underpinning of our society. And at conservatives, as loudly as we speak on transgender bathrooms and we do a good job, we don't speak up loudly and often enough about this. Maybe we're afraid. Maybe we're afraid that we'll get punished for championing women because that happens. The left goes after anybody who tries to champion women in the real sense of what it means to champion women. And you can use, for example, J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter. I mean, she's a liberal feminist. She is a leftist herself. But she's against the transgender agenda because she knows that it not only harms biological women, real women, it will erase them. 
We know this too. Congressman Jim Banks was banned from Twitter because he called Dr. Rachel Levine a man. Dr. Rachel Levine is a man, born a man, transitioned to a woman. Uh, you know, this first female three-star general who is not, or three-star admiral who is not a female whatsoever, not even close to a female. P you are punished. You will be punished. You will be called a bigot. You will be called a transphobe. You will be called an intern. You will be accused of being internalized or having internalized misogyny. And it's all nonsense. It's all nonsense. This national gender strategy of Joe Biden erases the definition of what a woman is, makes women token when they're in positions of power, degrades women's actual choices that we make about our lives and our careers. It allows and encourages the destruction of unborn women, paints women as victims who need government's help to succeed, and ultimately uses women, exploits women as pawns of the radical leftist agenda. Conservatives every day, all day, must be speaking out against this. Now, I, I know this stuff is really heavy stuff, and one of the very common comments that I get on this show is, how about some good news, and what can I do? I sit and listen to this, and I understand what's going on, but what can I do to make a difference in our country besides just voting every year, every two years, or every four years? And I have some good news for you. But first, I want to talk to you about Truebill. Do you know why free trials for subscription services renew without your consent? If it seems like a business scam that's out to get you, it's, well, because it is. So don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. There's a solution to this problem. It's called Truebill. Truebill is a new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't need, you don't want, or if you're like me, you simply forget about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. You just link your accounts, and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. Um, so download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. They've helped 2 million users save over $100 million, which is incredible. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash Liz. Go right now. Truebill.com slash Liz. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash Liz. And it's funny, as I'm sitting here talking about this, I'm literally thinking of a subscription that I intended only to have for one month, but it's probably been like six months now, and I need to use Truebill in order to cancel this. Truebill.com slash Liz. Liz, it'll save you a lot of money. So I want to talk for a second about the power of one person, because a lot of times in our country, especially on the conservative side, I think we can feel that we get lost in the shuffle, that we want to do something. But even when it comes to voting, like, does one vote make a difference? Are we actually helping the cause? What can we do? So I want to talk for a second about the power of one person, because I, I truly believe in the power of one person. I think it's incredible what one person can achieve. And so I'm going to give you an example of um, one person doing something bad and the cascading effects of that first before we get to the good news. And the, the example that I want to talk about is Joe Biden's choices in Afghanistan. So I said a couple weeks ago that what happened in Afghanistan didn't just happen arbitrarily. It was the result of Biden's deliberate political choices. This one man, Joe Biden. I understand that he's in a position of power and influence that you and I are not in. He is the president of the United States. But Joe Biden's unilateral choice to withdraw from Afghanistan in the way that he did, to turn Afghanistan back over to the Taliban, resulted in 13 U.S. service members dead, killed, murdered by a terrorist, a, a terrorist organization, the Taliban, now ruling Sharia law in Afghanistan. But there's a, U, uh, there's a new UN report that says that this winter, half of Afghans, half of the Afghan people will face hunger. This is a 35% increase in starvation from 2019. That's a two-year difference. So one man, Joe Biden, making one choice to result 
or to withdraw from Afghanistan the way he did is resulting in a 35% increase in how many people are starving in Afghanistan. And ju- just just to, so that we understand the severity of this, there is a mother in Afghanistan who was forced, this is hard for me to even talk about having a nine-month-old daughter myself. She was forced to resort to selling her baby daughter to pay for food for her other children. So she sold her baby girl for $500 to a man who claimed that he wanted to raise the daughter, raise the little girl to marry his son, but there's no way of confirming that that's what he actually wants to do. So we have no idea if this baby was sold into sex slavery. He gave the mother $250 up front. She's going to raise the baby until the baby can walk. And then he's going to pay her the other $250 and take the little girl for himself. That's the starvation that is happening in Afghanistan right now based on the choices of one person. So never underestimate the power of one person. Again, I know Joe Biden is the president of the United States and I'm not and you're not, but one person can make an enormous difference in a community. And the good example of this, down in Shreveport, Louisiana, there is a high school that in the space of three days, there were 23 students that were arrested for these absolutely enormous fights and brawls. It was, ab- it was out of control, the violence that was taking place in this school. And so the school couldn't control it themselves. And so the dads of the students formed a group called Dads on Duty. They now patrol the school during school hours. And since these dads have taken it upon themselves to keep the school safe, there has not been a single arrest. It's phenomenal. Take a look at this. Not many good news stories begin in such a bad news way. It happened last month here at Southwood High School in Shreveport, Louisiana. Plagued with violence. Over the course of three days, another fight. 23 students arrested for fighting. Massive police response. But strangely, there hasn't been another incident since. Perhaps in part because of this most unusual crisis intervention team. Nobody here has a degree in school counseling. No majors in criminal justice. No, no. Your qualifications are? Well, Dad, we decided the best people who can take care of our kids are who? Are us. So Michael Lafitte started Dads on Duty. We're out doing what we do for our babies. A group of about 40 Southwood dads who now hang out at the school in shifts. Let's go. Today, any negative energy that enters the building has to run a gauntlet of good parenting. What's going on, buddy? You moving fast. I like that horse. I immediately felt a form of safety. We stopped fighting. People started going to class. How could that be? You ever heard of a look? A look? Dads have the power to do that? Yes. (laughs) Not many people know it, but yes. (laughs) Let's go, let's go. But it's not just the firm stares and stern warnings. Let's make it to class, my son. It's also the dad jokes. (laughs) They just make funny jokes like, oh, hey, your suit is untied, but it's really not untied. (laughs) They hate it. They're so embarrassed by it. (laughs) And it's that perfect mix of tough love and gentle ribbing that dads do so well that has helped transform this school. The school has really just been like, happy and you can feel it which is why the dads plan to keep coming to southwood indefinitely because not everybody has the father the father figure at home or a male period in their life so just to be here makes a big difference do you think you stumbled onto something here absolutely absolutely absolutely. have a good morning they'd like to start chapters of dads on duty throughout louisiana what's up baby boy and hope to eventually take on the country all right without a fight. (laughs) Steve Hartman, on the road, in Shreveport, Louisiana.
How much do we love those dads? If this is not, first of all, how heartwarming is that? Are those dads the most precious dads that you've ever seen? And if this is not an example politically of the power of the family, the power of the father, then I don't know what is. Kudos to these men. I mean, I love to see it. It's absolutely wonderful. And did you see the look on the on the students' faces when they were interviewed? They love it too. They know their dads are there to care for them, to love them, and to protect them. Even the ones uh, who don't have father figures at home. It was, I don't know, I thought it was one of the the most powerful things that I've seen, and it shows the difference that one person or two people or a group of people in that sense, a group of individuals can make. Um, the, the other thing, the other person, another person who just in his position is using his platform to make a difference is an NBA player for the Boston Celtics called Inez Cantor. I don't follow basketball super closely, so you probably know more about him than I do. But I did see the video that he made calling out Nike of all places for their relationship with China. Now, uh, Cantor has called out the abuses, the human rights abuses of the Chinese before, the Uyghur Muslims and the treatment of the people in Tibet, um, and then the slave labor of the slave labor um, that Nike probably engages in in order to create their products. But listen to this. I mean, this is an NBA player after an NBA player is risking his career, risking his paycheck, risking his reputation when the entire league wouldn't do this. Take a listen. Dear Nike, your company says that you are making a positive impact in our communities. And that is true. Yes, you are. Here in the United States, Nike stands with the Black Lives Matter. Nike stands with Stop Asian Hate. Nike stands with the Latino community. And Nike stands with the LGBTQ community. And Nike remains vocal about injustice here in America. But when it comes to China, Nike remains silent. You do not address police brutality in China. You do not speak about discrimination against the LGBTQ community. You do not say a word about the oppression of minorities in China. You are scared to speak up. Who makes your shoes in China? Do you even know? There are so many forced labor factories in China. For instance, Uyghur forced labor in modern day slavery, and it is happening right now in China. Millions of Uyghurs are currently detained, sold, and assigned to work at forced labor camps, prisons, and factories across the country. They are, un they are under constant surveillance with long working hours and poor living conditions. They are subject to political re-education. They have no freedom of expression, no freedom of religion, and they are not even able to leave. Did you know that almost the entire apparel and footwear industry is tainted by Uyghur, Uyghur forced labor? Many well-known global brands are implicated, and yes, that includes the one of the NBA's biggest sponsors, Nike. That, that video has almost half a million views worldwide right now just on Twitter. And so if you want an example of something that you can do or that needs to be done by individuals, well, let me talk to you about this. So the Pope recently appointed um, a man named Jeffrey Sachs to a position in the church. He's basically an advisor on climate change and the environment. And Catholics, this is your call to do something about this, to talk to your clergy, to talk to your diocese, to talk to your archbishop, um, to make it known to the Vatican that Jeffrey Sachs is 
a horrible person. He's essentially anti-Catholic. So the Vatican, as opposed to this NBA player, the Vatican has been silent on China's human rights abuses. Um, and one of the reasons is this man, Jeffrey Sachs. He's been a longtime advisor of the Vatican, and he's also a China apologist. Not only is he a China apologist, he's basically as anti-Catholic as a Catholic can be. And yes, I know you're thinking, well, what about Nancy Pelosi? What about Joe Biden? Yeah, it's in the, it's in the same realm, but maybe Jeffrey Sachs is even worse because he was a Bernie Sanders supporter. He supports George Soros. He supports Bill and Melinda Gates. He supports population control. He's an apologist for the Chinese communist government that discriminates against Christians, sends them to re-education camps, denies people um, the ability to create a family, imposes limits on children, forces abortion, abuses people, abuses minorities. And now this man has been appointed by the Vatican to a position on climate change. So Catholics, if you want to do something, if you want to use your voice, and the power of your voice is important, one person joining together with another, making a group and speaking out, tell your Catholic parish that this is not okay. We do not need this pro-communist, anti-Catholic influence in the Vatican. It's, it's, it's quote, to me, as a practicing Catholic, this is not only egregious, it reminds me of something like the Antichrist. He is literally standing against the doctrine of the Catholic Church. That's how serious it is. And remember, as I said, the power of one person independently doing something, independently taking action, makes a huge difference. My friend James O'Keefe is an example of this. He and his organization, Project Veritas, have another great expose. In New Jersey, the gubernatorial race is heating up, and they have undercover footage of a top advisor of Governor Murphy admitting that after the election, Murphy's gonna mandate the vaccine, but only after the election because he doesn't want to turn off people before they cast their ballots. Take a look at this. The independent deciders would not vote for him if he did the vandal. Because they're into all that shit. My rights, my shit. Once you know we have a win, it's like, all right, guns blazing, like who cares? I'm in it, let's do the mandate, let's do this, the X, Y, and Z. Project Veritas has obtained hidden camera recordings inside Governor Phil Murphy's campaign, including from a senior advisor who admits to hiding information from voters until after the election in order to appeal to undecided and moderate voters. Pero como así lo mandates? La vaccine mandates. Como California, que está el mandato que todo el mundo tiene que tener la vacuna. Eh, lo va a hacer, pero no puede hacer, no podía hacerlo antes de la elección. Exacto. Porque, Porque si lo, no se tira todo lo independent y lo undecided. Uh -huh. The independent decides would not vote for him if he did the vandal. Because they're into all that shit. My rights, my shit. And they don't care that they kill everybody. Well, that, see, that's good to know then. That after he wins, then he'll do the mandates, the vaccine mandates. He will. But right now it's about him winning. It'll be, it'll be fine. This appears to be a top-down understanding. Matthew Urquillo, a manager for New Jersey Forward, which is a campaign project funded by the Democratic State Committee of New Jersey, he echoes the same sentiment. Do you think he'll do something about that, like the vaccine mandates and stuff? I think so. I think the problem is right now, because it's election season, he's not going to have people say, like, we're going to have a mandate now. Because, you know, stuff's, for some people, it's going to piss them off. I think once you know we have a win, it's like, all right, Guns blazing, like who cares? I mean, let's do the mandates, let's do this, the X, Y. So you think if he t 
talks about mandates for vaccines now, he won't get elected because it's a lot of pushback. But I think there's some people that, you know, will might push back. So, I mean, this could very well make a difference in this election. One person with one camera, one report, or one Twitter video from one NBA player, or one dad taking a leadership role, organizing this dads on duty, protecting children's education. I mean, these things make a difference. And they're all started not by these institutions, not by these organizations, not funded by a ton of money, just one person taking action, one person raising their voice, one person taking a leadership role. I find that... Um, very encouraging, especially when it seems like the weight of the world can be falling on our shoulders sometimes with all this bad news. These little things, these incremental uh, pieces of good news, they're extremely, extremely powerful. We're almost out of time for today, but before we go, I want to introduce the locals VIP of the week. That would be John Raymond. John, thank you for joining the Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals. We are delighted to have you. Please introduce yourself. Tell us, we obviously know what your name is, John Raymond, but tell us what you do for a living, where you live, why you're conservative, why you joined. We want to get to know you. For anybody who is not familiar with the Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals, we are a thriving community of tens of thousands of people, and we do all kinds of question and answer, live stream rants, We do extended segments, ad-free show, exclusive interviews, all kinds of cool stuff, and it's all censorship-free. That's the good thing about Locals. We don't have to worry about big tech stifling us for what we say. So, John, welcome to the community, and anybody who has not yet joined, please do at lizwheelershow.com slash locals. We will see you over there. In the meantime, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Write us a review. A good one. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Assistant editor, Michael Wall. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Post-production manager, Victoria Metzel. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.